0: James chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 19 and 20, and then we'll discuss. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of of sins. Interesting, James ends his letter so abruptly, so to the matter of fact, the last thoughts that he had to write down that letter ...for the believers who were scattered abroad, as we saw in James chapter 1. These were for the the church, the the believers. They were scattered among, and he was writing this letter. This is probably the earliest, if not the first letter written... ...that was used to speak to the people, these new believers, the new church that had started. Now it's interesting, in chapter 5, as we close the book of James... ...we have seen a series of questions... Or tests for you and I to think and ponder about in our own lives. The whole letter has been about spiritual maturity. And so, as we take a look at the scriptures, we're going to see a series of tests even through chapter 5, and no different here in verses 19 and 20. We saw the, the question or the test of patient endurance in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Are you like the farmer? Who's patiently enduring? Are you like the prophets that are patiently enduring? Are you like Job that is patiently enduring? That is the question if in spiritual maturity, are you patient and enduring? Patiently preserving or persevering. How about the the question or the test of truthfulness that we saw in verse 12 in that section? Is your yes your yes and your no? Be no. Are you a man or a woman of integrity? Can people rely upon you? Are you spiritually mature? That's the question. That's the test question for you today. The third test question would have been prayerfulness in verses 13 through 18. Through testing circumstances. Are you prayerfully taking all things to God in everything? Small, large, are you that type of person? Are you so spiritually mature that you're taking all things in prayer to God? And then today we will see the last test here or question for us to decide, are we spiritually mature? And we see that in verses 19 and 20, the test of true faith. Do you trust God in changing a life? Do you trust God that God can change your life? That is the question today. We see here that James is talking to brethren. He's talking to believers. That is you and I. And he's saying, brethren, if anyone among you, that means the church body, among you. We're not talking about those people. We're talking among among you. Who wanders from the truth And someone turns him back. There's action taking place here. This is not just prayer. Even though nowhere in verses 19-20 talks and uses the word prayer, like in previous verses, you can see it's implied. That... It takes prayer to do what James is about to say in his final words to the brethren there in the church and to you and I today. Because James is speaking to something that is absolutely critical. Having introduced the topics of sin, he talked about here and previously about confession and what it is to confess your sin to another brother. But James reminds us of the need to confront those who wanders from the truth. Those who wanders from the truths of God, wandering away from the way God says how you are to live a life as a believer. So it's not about, I'll be praying for you, brother. Oh, sister, you know I pray for you. But you know in the back of your mind that person is wandering away from the truths of God. They used to. They used to tell you all about it and they could tell you all the scripture about it. But they say, say, I've been walking and been in the church my whole life. And you hear all of these kinds of cliche kind of responses. Oh, I've always been in church. Oh, I grew up in the church. My family's all been Christians. And it goes on and on. But my question to you is, are you Are you walking with the Lord? Do you know God in a personal way? Are you desiring the truths of God and wanting to desire to walk in His way? That's the question. I know you used to do it. The question is, are you still doing it? That's what James is coming across here. He's saying, don't let these people who used to want to walk God's way just wander away. You and I, as a believer, have responsibility not to be looking for people who are wandering, but as you come across and the Lord reveals, do you have a passion for believers who have walked away? James says, if anyone among you, notice this, it doesn't say, brethren, find the elders and make them go find and help these people who have wandered away. No, 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 no. This is not not my responsibility. I have that responsibility. But he's talking about you and you in the, in, this, in the pews. You among you, doesn't mean everybody, but as if God's going to use you in helping a brother and sister in the faith. The question is, if you're spiritually mature, you understand how important that is and value and desire you are to help someone to encourage them in the faith. If you're not there, you're just not spiritually mature yet. Keep showing up regardless of how you feel. Eventually, you're going to grow and mature. You might be one of the ones who are wandering and someone God is going to use in your life to help you come back to the Lord and be committed to the Lord. Because that's our ministry. It's a ministry of fellow Believers, as to who has wanders from the truth of God and gets into sin, we must keep in mind that the reason for this problem that they have is because they wandered away from the truth of God. That's it. It's not complicated. How did you get from here to point here? Because they've drifted, they've wandered away from the truths of God. What does it mean to wander away? It means you're not committed. You're not steadfast. You're, not, you're allowing things of this world and Satan to, to creep into your life that causes you to now not be steadfast in the word of God. To not be immovable. You're like, okay, I I can be flexible on these kind of points because, you know, it's kind of hard at work and and people kind of make fun and and scoff at me and and it's hard here and hard there and it's difficult within the family to try to keep peace because I just want peace in the house. No, you'll never have peace in the house unless it's based upon the truths of God. That you must understand. Saying nothing, men about what's going on in your house and what your children are doing and are going against the ways of God, because saying silent, you're causing more problems. Not, you're not solving the problem. So this whole wanders from the truth really suggests this gradual sliding down and moving away from the will of God. I love the picture that wanders from the truth because it's a great picture because most people don't wander deliberately. It just sort of happens. But nevertheless, it happened. It causes them to be off track. It possible causes them to, to fall to, to do something they said they would never do again. They say these things are, how did that happen? Because what was happening is they weren't growing spiritually. They, there's no such thing as just steadfast in doing nothing. You're growing or you're or you're slipping and drifting away. There's only one. You're always going to go up or going to go down. The question is where you find yourself today. The truth. That he's talking about the wandering from the truth is the word of God. We see that in John seventeen seventeen. Your truth, your word is truth. The word is truth. Unless a believer stays close to the truth and applies that truth, he or she will start drifting away. We see that in Hebrews chapter two verse one. Therefore, we must give the most earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we. Drift away. The Old Testament term for this wandering state is what? Backsliding. You only find the word backsliding in the Old Testament. And what is sad and tragic is when a brother or sister in our churches are overtaken in any trespass, as we see in Galatians 6.1, but usually the sin is the result of slow, gradual decline. It's never. It's just on fire for the Lord. And it just gradually goes into the lukewarm state. Watch out. Take it or leave it kind of attitude about reading the word of God. Watch out. I used to go to church. No big deal to me now. Uh, you know, we can worship God anywhere, you know. When you start rationalizing, it always starts in your own head first. And eventually, those who love you, who used to be so close in the fellowship with you, you now start saying it out loud to them. That is a sign of someone who's wandering. And how important it is that we take heed in the words that people say. Not to turn around and go, oh, you're wandering. I can't believe you're wandering. No, no, no. There is a loving restoration that needs to take place. Lovingly coming alongside that brother or that sister to encourage them in their walk with God. Because we have to understand if we're not growing spiritually, then you are slowly declining spiritually. You know, Luke 15, 4, the lost sheep, the one from who walked away from the other ninety-nine. You know the story. Knew exactly what this meant. Without the instruction and without the protection and the care of the shepherd, it was lost. It walked away from the shepherd. It walked away from hearing the voice of the shepherd. It walked away. Nevertheless, because of curiosity, it strayed and wandering away from the shepherd. We see that warning by James in chapter 1, verse 14. They just stopped listening to the word. They just stopped listening to others who were talking about the word. They started avoiding those opportunities and talks. They're too busy. They're all this and then that. And we got to go here and we got to go there. You know, it's summertime and all kinds of things that can be very distracting. But this lost sheep represents the foolish and thoughtless wanderer from God. Which God says, do not listen to anything that will lead you away from me and my truth. Be very careful of what you're taking into your minds and what you're consuming your minds on because that will cause you to take away God's will in your life and seeking God's will and understanding and applying God's word it causes you to start drifting or wandering from the truth. The caution we see in Proverbs 19.27 Ceasing, cease listening to the instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Here's a father to a son. Ah, if you don't keep listening to me, son, you're going to start going your own way and it's not going to be good. It's not just for children, you know. The proverb is not just for children. It applies for adults, too. Especially those well-educated, highly learned well, great reader kind of type of people who will put their strength in, you know how much I read? Do you know how much I many books on my bookshelf? Do you know how much college degrees and, and initials after my name? It speaks to you as well. Because even the well-educated adult who instead of listens to the ungodly teachings of those who pretend knowledge in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 through 4, that, that warning, be very careful who you're getting your teachings from or reading from. Because they could take you away so subtly and drift you away from the understanding of simplicity of the word of God and get you into other things that causes distraction. Proverbs 21.16, a man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. I don't know about you, but that's that's a stark warning, is it not? How often have Christians allowed themselves to be enticed away by their own intellectual vanity? God corrects this type of person. When this person starts straying, he allowing the curse of his sins to fall upon them because he says, you want your way? You think you're smart enough? You got to do that? Okay, I'll just take my hands off of this and we'll watch the spiraling down take place. And maybe that will wake you up and humble you and come back to the truths of God. See, To use Paul's analogy of spiritual diet must not be a mixture of true and false doctrines. In this area of life, a mixture produces nothing good. We see that, James made that very clear in James chapter 3 verses 11 and 12. We must make every effort to separate the true food from the false food if we're going to grow spiritually. Spiritually. Remember, the whole letter is about spiritual maturity. That's what James is coming across to the church. He says, you need to continue to grow. It's one thing about knowing who Jesus is. And yes, you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. But now you must grow spiritually. And you can only do that by the Spirit teaching you the Word of God. And you've got to stay in the Word of God or you will not grow. Wandering. Backsliding is very dangerous to a sinner. We see here that because he may be disciplined by God, because he has wandered away from the truth. They say a shepherd, as a sheep wanders away and brings them back and wanders away and brings them back, eventually the shepherd breaks the leg of the sheep, puts them on the back of, so that the sheep becomes dependent upon God because they cannot go anywhere else. Oh, have you been broken by the Lord? Have you been broken And now you're in your life where you're completely trusting in God and him alone for your life. Oh, I hope all of you are. And never return from that. Because that brokenness is what will save your life. We also, he also faces the dangers of committing sin leading to death. That, that warning is in 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. But wandering and backsliding is dangerous to the church as well. And that is why James is talking to the church as a whole, because it never affects just you when you sin. Sin always affects everyone around you. And so when the church is, people are wandering uh, from the church and from the truth of God and those kind of things, it will cause others in the church to be drawn away from God and the truth of God. Oh, it's very subtle, I've seen it. Well, that person's doing it and they just seem to be fine. They do it, that should be fine. That church over there, they teach that and they seem like to have no they have liberty, man. They could, they're doing all kinds of things. Don't do, I think it should be fine. Be very careful not to get wrapped up in that. It doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. No matter what God says, does it not? But it is a danger to the church when people wander away because they have a tendency to pull others, especially if they have influence. This is why the spiritual mature Christians, not just leaders in the church, must step in and help in the loving restoration of a person who is wandering away. Let me encourage you, my brothers and sisters. I don't know all your backgrounds, I don't know all the different stories and what churches you went to or not to, but here at Calvary Chapel, fellowship is part of the service. Because I know how wonderful that God can use others in your life to encourage you to continue to walk in God's way. As soon as you say, I don't need a fellowship, you know you're wandering, you know you're in trouble. You are. I'm just going to tell you. You may not agree with me. That's fine. I'm just telling you what the scripture tells you. I'm just a messenger here. It's an indication that you're not mature when you choose to not want to fellowship with believers. Do 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 you remember when Jesus warned Peter that Satan was at hand to tempt him? What did Peter do? he refused the word of god he even argued with the lord over it that means he was not in a good space at that moment in time do you know that we find him peter was should have been praying instead he was sleeping no wonder he denied his lord three times because he was sleeping He wasn't attentive. He wasn't seeking. He wasn't praying and communicating communion with God. See, the outcome of this wandering in sin is possible death. We see it will continue in verse 20. But understand that the sinner here is a believer, not an unbeliever. The sin in the life of a Christian is worse than sin in the life of an unbeliever. Did you know that? We expect unsaved people to sin. That's their nature. That's what they're going to do. That that shouldn't surprise you. Oh, could you see what they did? Yeah, they're a non-believer. What do you think they're going to do? It's when a believer sins. Now that is far worse. See, what are we to do when we see a fellow believer who wanders from the truth first is we need to pray we need to seek the Lord and pray and intercede for them that's the first but we also see that after we are praying earnestly we must see if, if God wants to use you in that person's life to restore them because he needs to be restored. Do you realize believers need to be restored? To have a U-turn, a, t- a turn back moment, where things are just so, to, to catch it before, that goes too far, which could lead to death? That we want to encourage them to come back to the ways of God, the things of God, and let their life be examined by the word of God like a mirror to see what needs to change and go back to that first love and and to the desire to please God. How important it it is that we see that God says, I want to use you as a human instrument in turning sinners back from the errors of their ways. This is God's desire. This is God's design. Jesus said to Peter in Luke chapter 22 verse 32. But I have prayed for you. What's the first thing he did? He prayed. If the Lord says, "I first thing I've done for you Peter. Instead of confronting you directly right up front. I prayed for you first. Do you see why we should be praying for that person first? He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. I love that verse because Jesus is saying, I have been praying for you that your faith would not fail in the testing that's coming. But let me encourage you when you come back to me, I'm going to use you in the life of other people. Is that not encouraging to you as a, as a believer? You're a Peter, I'm a Peter. God is saying, if you've wandered right now, if you're wandering, the wandering from the truth, come back to me, he says, and watch me use you in the life of other people. It's a beautiful promise. See, God does not need to use human instruments. He doesn't need to use you and I. But sometimes He does, and sometimes He does not. But what I believe is when He does use you and I in the lives of other people, He gets all the more the glory. The Apostle Paul, or rather, should I say, Saul of Tarsus, was not converted through any human instrument. Maybe through the intercessory prayer of the martyr Stephen, maybe. But God went and directly spoke to him directly. And his life was changed. Other times, God uses other people to lead people to Christ. But one reason God uses human instruments is because he brings more glory to him. He shows how he can take this instrument, yes, you, and do a great work. And then says, oh, now let's go together and reach the world. Or reach your community. Or to reach your family. Or to reach your neighborhood. That's what God wants to do through you. Yes, to reach the lost, those unsaved, absolutely. But we also see that we're called to restore a brother and sister as well. It's not right in our hearts to watch someone walk away from the Lord and say, you know, I warmed it once, twice, three times. Now it's on their own. Good luck, buddy, I've tried. No, no, no. You may not be able to directly communicate, but you can intercede in prayer. That God maybe will use someone else that they will listen to, that will open their eyes to realize they've wandered and drifted so far. It's important that we seek to win the lost, yes, but it is also important to win the saved. If a brother has sinned against us, we should talk to him privately and seek to settle that matter. Because we see in Matthew chapter 18 verse 15, if he listens, then we have gained our brother. We have bring back into fellowship, restored that fellowship and bringing him back to follow the ways of God. Oh, how we must remember it is important to win the saved as well as the lost. Do you know how many Christians that are wandering aimlessly now? Because they were hurt by the church, they're hurt by someone within the church. Satan got in their head, they fall, they sin and they thought they would never, and it would just devastate them, and they said, "How can I ever return to the fellowship of God and follow God after I'm the mistake I've made?" And Satan's right there to just gobble up that moment. How many times have people not wanted to come and get back in the word of God and back into fellowship because of a Christian just devastates them and says, you're not saved and you were never saved and you will always play the game and just come at you like they're the spirit of God. You're not the spirit of God. You're not the Holy Spirit. So be very careful in how you communicate with another believer who find themselves wandering from the truth and you see it and you come in like you're the Spirit of God to tell them that they're unsaved. This whole debate of was they saved when they're not saved? Did you see how they lived their life? I don't think they were ever saved because if they were saved then they wouldn't be doing what they were doing. All those conversations, my brothers and sisters, get over it. You're devastating people's lives. The scripture says here you don't call and say, You're an unbeliever and you need to come to Jesus because you couldn't have lived your life all these years and the way you are. The scripture says, Win them back to the scripture, not drive them out. Encourage them in the the truths of God. Don't discourage them. Lovingly restore. Don't take the bat after them. As much as I really would like to take a bat after some people because they're just not getting it through their head. But the Lord always reminds me, the bat never works. Only God uses the the correction. God's the one that leads correction. Why this is so important? Because we see right here in verse 20, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death. It doesn't say save your soul from a bad life, which it would be, or save a soul from no peace, which is true. No, no joy, which is true. You're not ever settled, which is true. You're never going to be happy, which is true. All these things are true. But James is warning that if you're not, take, if you're not taking understanding, if we do not lovingly restore a brother or sister of the Lord, if they're not brought to light where they've wandered, it will lead to death. How does that be? Because the Lord will decide it's better that I take that person's life than them to continue as a believer living the way they're living. Because they will have more destruction on people around them in the church. If I take them out, they will do less destruction. For their sake, I better take them out now. But James is saying, There's a blessing for the one who loves his brother enough to confront him and who will turn him from the error of his way. Look what the impact you can have on a person's life. This powerful restoration of one's life. One of the things you have to understand, that restoration of one's life is always a priority for God So it should be a priority for his people. It should be a priority for us. If we're going to help restore an erring brother, we must have an attitude of love in it. Why? 1 Peter 4a says, For love will cover a multitude of sins. Both James and Peter learned this principle from the Proverbs. Proverbs 10, 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Now, what this does not say, because I've heard people automatically go with this. Pastor, are you saying that you should, because of love, we should just sweep the dirt under the carpet and act like it never happened? No. That's not what it says here whatsoever. No one in the heirs of the way, and you restore him, you don't help him by confirming to him or her that it was okay and everything will be all right because they wandered away from the truth. That you can live however you want to, and God loves you, and you'll be just fine. Yes, our t- church is teaching that. Oh, it's the grace of God, it's the mercy of God. K- just keep coming, it's fine. Or if you don't come, it's fine. Because you're saved, you're loved, oh, you'll be fine. No, they're living in sin. And you know it, and they told you, and you didn't say anything, and correct them and say, Let me show you what the word of God says about this. This is not good, is that right? It'll destroy you. And everyone around you, and you don't say it because you're afraid to say something in the congregation because those people are, the, are the, the, a leader of this ministry or they're ahead head of the ministry or they're even the pastor of the ministry and you know that they're living in sin and you didn't say nothing because they give the most money or they do this and then that. Oh, we don't want to disrupt because if you call them out and they blatant sin in their life, the entire 20 people in their family are leaving at the same time. Let me reassure you. I'm going to lovingly restore you. Because that's what the word of God says. But if you choose to continue to live in sin and not repent, the scripture speaks to that as well. Do you understand that? I think one of the benefits of being, starting a church from, with nobody is that I don't fear people coming and going. This ministry is so unique as people have come every two or three years and they're rotating out because of the military and all of that. I, I just I only basically show up teaching four people or I teach and whoever number God gives me. It doesn't. This is God's church. This is God's people. I just keep teaching you the Word of God. So I have no problem lovingly restore. A brother and sister who's sinning and walking away from the things of God. Why? Because I know that it could lead to their death, an early death, and that's the last thing. And it'll hurt the church. It'll hurt their family. I will do whatever it can take to try to restore you. Because that is what the scripture tells me. And that is my heart to help you to restore. I hope that's your heart to restore someone in your family, in your neighbor, in your coworker who says they're a Christian, but they're not walking. But if you restore him by bringing him away from that sin, not giving him assurance in his sin, because you have to remember, it takes the truth of God to bring the brethren back to the truth. Let me say that again. You want to restore someone, you must share them the truths of God, the word of God, and that's what you want to restore them back to the truth, to come, back, to come back to the truth of God. So please don't use psychobabble out there. Don't use the latest and greatest little books out there on some subject of drug and alcohol and all the 12 steps and two steps and dozy do steps. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. What's going to last in the life of that person to restore them once and for all is the word of God. The truth of God will restore and transform the mind of a believer. Please use the word of God if you're going to be used by God to restore a brother or sister. Please. Just lovingly share the truth with them. The truth of God. That's why we must understand how important it is to speak truth in love. You know, it's interesting. I don't think we should ever assure anybody in sin. I don't know where anywhere in the Bible that assures anybody who is in sin. No assurance nowhere in the scripture it assures those that are in Christ that is where our insurance is are you in Christ you have all the insurance you're not in Christ you think you can just live over here i don't know about you i wouldn't want to be on a sandy ground All the scripture that speaks of assurance are those that are in Christ. Romans 8.1 There is therefore no, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That is your assurance. But if you are not in Christ, there is condemnation. That is truth. See, so if a person errs, seek to restore. Do it lovingly. But restore them back to the walk of faith in Christ, in Christ alone for their salvation and for their life. We must bring them back for you will save their soul from death and you will cover a multitude of sins. Because you did that. We must remember where there is love, there must also be truth. That's the speaking truth in love. We see that in Paul, Ephesians 4.15. And where there is truth, there is honest confession of sin and cleansing from God. That is how it works. See, love not only helps a sinner to face his sins, but also deal with those sins. There's one thing about saying, okay, okay, I'm a sinner. I know I've done this wrong. I know this is not right. I know this is it. I, I, I got it. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. I already know that. But the truth of God will not only highlight it, but also deal with it. Do you not want your sin to be dealt with? That would be a Yes. Then let the Word of God do it. Get in the Word of God and watch Him deal with that in your life. But not only does the love not only helps the sinner to face His sins and deal with them, but love also assures the sinner that those sins, once forgiven, are remembered no more. Your sins are not remembered any longer. Because you've been forgiven, and you now can continue to live for Christ. So James concludes the letter here, which is exactly what he started with the endeavoring of this letter in the beginning, was to challenge the believers to continue to walk faithfully and to grow spiritually with the Lord. And at the very end, he ends it. Okay, I've got covered all the multitude of things. But let me remind you one last thing. Do not let these believers, brothers and sisters that once fellowshiped with you, just wander away. You have a responsibility as a believer to go and seek after them. To go and to to fellowship with them in a way that would bring them back using the word of God to encourage them that what they're doing is wrong. They must come back to the word of God and then be in the will of God Will you do that? And I'm speaking to those who are spiritually mature today. Will you do that? As God leads you. Because it always has to be when the Spirit of God leads you. To lovingly confront those who have wandered from a living faith. For the sake of saving their souls from death.